0: Thank you for that song, Ancient Words. Sometimes in talking about health ministry and the writings of Ellen White, people say things like, oh, that, that was kind of a, a long time ago. Things are different now. Really? I mean, if it's, if it's so different since this book was written, what about since this book was written? Uh, if, if it's inspired by God, it's changeless principles for our lives. And so our, our job is not to say, oh, well, that's old. The, the, the job is to say, how do we apply these principles to our situation today? So many of you, most probably most of you were here last night and heard my message and there's a lot more that could be said about that, but today I want to shift the focus a little bit from how did we get here to where do we go from here, and so I've entitled The Message, Repairing the Breach. Some of you may recognize that scripture reference. It's a reference to one of the chapters of scripture that Ellen White says is the foundation of health ministry, and we will... Uh, close with that today uh, for this session. But we have a little work to do before we get to the closing. I'm going to put up a quote for you here and I'm going to go through several quotes and point out a few key things and then I'm going to talk about some kind of theoretical stuff and then lay out a plan for a possible way forward to repairing the breach. Notice it says here, God's word is indeed a light shining amidst the moral darkness. And in our sanitariums, above all other places, the religion of Christ is to be clearly exemplified. Take a moment and read that again. Think of the implications. In our sanitariums, above all other places... You mean above uh, the seminary, above the church? How is it that the religion of Christ, that is Christianity, is to be exemplified most clearly in the sanitarium? Where, Where is our local sanitarium? You mean we don't have one? How many do we have? Do we have thousands of them scattered all around and we just don't happen to have one here? No. So there's there's something wrong. All right. In our sanitariums, above all other places, the religion of Christ is to be clearly exemplified. If we are to do the work that we're called to do, we have to have a sanitarium. And uh, we may have to debate you know, if we're going to use that word, what that looks like exactly. I don't think anybody in the world today really knows what a sanitarium is. So we have an opportunity to educate. This is why I have urged that many small sanitariums be established in places out of the city, that men and women may hear and understand the word of the Lord and may be brought under a special direct influence from heaven. This is the work of the gospel, isn't it? To bring people under the direct influence of heaven. So if, if we don't have sanitariums, we've handicapped ourselves by the most clear and direct example of Christianity. And we're, we're trying to teach Christianity without giving the, the fullest example of what it means to be a Christian. There are many, many souls in our wicked cities. Do you think there are more now than there were in 1904? Has the population grown a little bit and the cities expanded a lot? Yes. Both in the highways and hedges who need to be helped into the way of life by being brought into connection with our sanitariums. And these sanitariums should be established in such places as Hinsdale, Tacoma Park, and Berrien Springs. You might guess why I highlighted the uh, Berrien Springs there. It's interesting to me that there, there was one established in Hinsdale and there was one established in Tacoma Park, but we're still waiting here in Berrien Springs. I'm not sure that what's in Hinsdale and what's in Tacoma Park today would really be considered a sanitarium. Maybe I might have to talk about that a little bit. This is the light that the Lord has given. There's another interesting one. I I like, when I'm reading, do do you know that um, words like all or none never, always, every. Those are kind of key words for starting to establish uh, principles and and ideas of how we're supposed to work. So you should be paying attention when you see those words, like, okay, something's something's up here. What does this say? In every city where we have a church. How many, you know, I've had uh, non-Adventist friends and travel around and they tell me, yeah, we were driving through this little tiny town in the middle of nowhere in Oregon and and uh, there was an Adventist church there. Like, do you guys have churches everywhere? Well, praise the Lord, we were on well on our way to having churches everywhere. And it seems like we're struggling and some of those churches are closing now. But this is pretty clear. In every city where we have a church, there is need of a place where what? Treatment can be given. So here we're told, every place where we have a church, we should have a place to treat those who are sick in in connection with the work of the church. I don't think we've ever even come close to that. In every place. Now, here's some some further advice. The building might be inelegant and even rude. She's saying, like, even if it's not a nice looking building, if it's Got some problems? Start with what you have. But it should be furnished with facilities for giving simple treatments. These skillfully employed would prove a blessing, not only to our own people but to their neighbors, and might be the means of calling the attention of many to the health principles. So notice who is supposed to be served by the treatment rooms in association with our church. There's... there's two classes of people mentioned there, right? Our own people. That was one of the discussions I think that kind of prompted some of this talk about starting a clinic here at Village Church. Some of our own people during a a recent health crisis had difficulty accessing care. And so the thought was, well, we should be providing for our own people to be able to receive care. And yes, we should. The scripture tells us, let us do good to all men. You know this quote from Galatians uh, chapter 6. Let us do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. And so we should be prepared to treat our own people who are in need and Many of our health programs end up doing just that, helping our own people. And uh, Laurel was kind enough to share her testimony. She's one of our own people, and she was helped by, by this program. And, and of course, we have others who are uh, not Adventist yet, but they are our neighbors. So God calls us to do good, to help our neighbors. And so these are the, the two groups of people that should have access to treatment in treatment rooms associated with the churches. That that is, people who are Seventh-day Adventists and people who are not yet Seventh-day Adventists. I think that covers just about everyone in the community, doesn't it? All right. Now, these these next um, couple of quotes might be, a little challenging to some of our brethren i just remind you that i did not write them i'm not i didn't write this i'm just sharing it okay so keep that in mind the gospel of health now some people don't like that term the gospel of health they say oh the gospel is just about jesus on the cross the health message is not the gospel have you ever heard that Well, I have to say, if God has a means of alleviating your suffering, isn't that good news? That's good news. We've forgotten what gospel actually means. Gospel is good news. And the good news is that our Lord Jesus Christ came to relieve us of the burden of disease and wretchedness and sin. And in its place, he wants to give us health and peace and perfection of character. That is the gospel. That is the good news. So the gospel of health has able advocates, but their work has been made very hard because so many ministers, presidents of conferences and others in positions of influence have failed to give the question of health reform its proper attention. They have not recognized it in its relation to the work of the message as the right arm of the body. I had to tell you, I was at a camp meeting one time a number of years ago, and there was a I'll just say it was a, a administrative officer of the church who got up in camp meeting and was making fun of those people that eat tofu and that promote all this health stuff, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. A, a leader in our church, a, an elected official very influential person, making fun of the health message. It's very sad. And here she says that, that some of these leaders have failed to give the question of health reform its proper attention. And this particular individual was, was fairly obvious that uh, he didn't practice health reform. Uh, being significantly overweight and uh, deconditioned, that's, that's not to say that someone who struggles with some kind of health problems can't embrace the health message, but I see it over and over again, brothers and sisters, uh, pastors who are, are overweight, out of shape, eating junk, not keeping regular hours, so imbalanced in their life, pastors, conference officials, physicians. So many of us have failed to embrace the work of health reform in the church because we fail to embrace it in our personal life so this is another personal challenge for us if you are not living up to everything that you know about the health message it's maybe it's time to, to begin a, a personal work of reform of embracing the health work in your own life I can tell you from personal experience, um, there's a big difference between telling somebody that they should do something when you're not doing it yourself versus advising someone on how to do something from a basis of personal experience. And I, I, I love it in my clinical practice. I love it when my patients start making excuses about why, why they can't exercise. And maybe some of you have had this before, but, but Doc, you don't understand. I'm busy. It's like, oh yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> How busy are you? <laughs> okay, yeah. You think I'm not busy? Oh, you know, I have kids. Okay, yeah. Well, anyway, and 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 sometimes it ends up with well, whoa. You know, I, I might have to get up early. Like, well, yeah. You know, I, I get up early and, you know, I was out at five o'clock this morning running because I knew I was going to be busy all day. And if I didn't get up. So there's, there's two things. There's, I'm, I've gone to preaching now, or quick preaching and gone to meddling now. There's two things that I have to do first thing in the morning I got to get time with God. And I got to get my exercise in, because if I don't, then stuff happens, and my phone, and my texting, and my email, and the work, and then stuff, and then the next thing you know, it's 9 o'clock at night, and you didn't do it. So it's about priorities. But it's a whole different thing when when you're sitting with a patient making excuses, like, yeah, I had all those excuses, you know, and they don't work. Like, actually do what God is calling you to do. You know, it's like a pastor getting up and telling people to read their Bibles when he hasn't read his own Bible. Uh Wow. All right? So, and I hope that's not too hard on you, but, uh, you know, between you and God, embrace the health message for yourself. I think it even says in the scripture, present your bodies as a living sacrifice for this is your reasonable service. Next quote. While very little respect has been shown to this department, that is to the uh, medical work, uh, by many of the people and by some of the ministers, the Lord has shown his regard for it by giving it abundant prosperity. When properly conducted, the health work is an entering wedge Making a way for other truths to reach what? To reach the heart. So the health work, the the medical work, is is to reach the heart. And that's just the story that we just heard. That's what happened. Like, oh, these people are weird. Like, why do they care so much? Entering the heart. That's what happened there. And, and, it, and then once once the heart is open to connection with God and with God's people and with truth, then God can pour so much into that person. And the the health work, the medical work is the entering wedge. And this one when the third angel's message is received in its fullness, health reform will be given its place. Now where is? the place of the health reform and the health message. Here's a list. In the councils of the conference, so this is another call to our conference brethren to embrace the work. This is the work of the conference. It's not the work of the hospitals over there or the independent institutions. God calls us for this to be the work of the conference. And what else? The work of the church in the home at the table, and in all the household arrangements, then the right arm will serve and protect the body. Oh, there's so much just in this paragraph. But notice, um, in, in economics, we call this uh, vertical integration. Notice the vertical integration of the health message from the highest echelons of leadership in the church and the conference we might even say the general conference, because the general conference is a conference, right? It's a general conference. So from the general conference to the division, the union, the, the uh, local conference, the church, the home, what you have on your table, the way you live your life, everywhere, the, the health message is to be integrated throughout. And this, this is actually one of the principles of the health message, is integration. It, rather than separation, and I actually have an entire lecture on inter, integrity and integration that is part of my one of my health talks. We don't have time for that this morning, but you got you got the the little glimpse of it. It's about integrating these things together, and then notice um, the right arm will serve and protect the body, and. Uh, Wow, there's there's so much we could go into there. Just, just imagine if the uh, $30 billion industry, that is Adventist health uh, centers, was actively serving and protecting the church. I wonder if the discussion about risk management from the church side would be different if if it was integrated. I don't know. I don't know. All right. And one more quote here. We saw this one yesterday and I keep coming back to it because of course Barrient Springs is my local area of work right now. But not just that, but notice the two things that the sanitarium oh wrong button. There we go. Two things that the sanitarium is supposed to do here to represent our work in clear, straight lines. Is there a need for that today? I think there is. You know, the work has gone all sideways in a lot of different ways. And so we need uh, examples to show in clear straight lines how our work is to be done and give the students an opportunity of learning how to care for the sick. And I would suggest that the students referenced here are not only students at the local university, but also the church members. There's, There's many other places where... We're told that the church is to be a training school for gospel workers, including gospel medical missionaries. So, you know, we have uh, Pastor Don here where the training school is on the, the campus of the university, and it's all kind of integrated. I like that. It's integrated. Well, every church should be like that. Every church should have classes on how to care for the sick, and I mean this is going to be part of the work here. So, now we're going to turn to a little bit more uh, uh, philosophical, theological framework for why medical missionary work. Is it just because uh, it's a good way to make money and it gets people's attention? Is that why we're supposed to be doing medical work? It's It's not just that. So, I would suggest, number one, the first reason why God calls us to do medical missionary work is because God loves people. And the world is full of people who are suffering. And God calls us to alleviate that suffering because he loves those people. And that in and of itself is enough reason right there. And I think sometimes sometimes we get so anxious about uh, baptizing people and and we do all of the th- the things just to try to get people baptized. And and it's not wrong to want to baptize people. I think we should. But it, it it's interesting if if we become so focused on that, the people around us get the sense like you you're trying to manipulate me you're you're trying to sell me something like what is it what you just want me to join your church oh you want me to give money to your church that's what it is or things you know what i'm talking about versus if you just help people because you care about them right we could think about this for example if um, if if the suffering person is our own child Will you only help your your own child to alleviate their suffering if uh, you know that as a result they're going to be baptized? It's even strange to ask that question. Well, of course you would help your child just because you love them and they're your child and they need help. And God's the same way. God has a whole world full of suffering children. He wants to help them. He wants to alleviate suffering. And yes, of course, he, he desires more than anything else their eternal salvation. But whether they choose eternal salvation or not, God still wants to alleviate suffering. So the love of God is the the first and foremost reason. If we look at the the example of Jesus, what did Jesus do? He went out he says in multiple places that he saw the people and he had compassion upon them. And, of course, uh, Luke, the beloved physician who actually wrote, more of the New Testament than any other author so the the uh, the New Testament isn't that interesting? the most voluminous writer of the New Testament was not a pastor or uh, a a minister per se, but he was a physician who became a pastor so he was bivocational for sure so the love of God secondly. Human nature. I say this because human nature, you you remember when God created mankind, right? You've all had this Bible study or given this Bible study. God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So it's, it's not that God found a body, and he stuck a soul in there. You follow me? So human nature is, by the design of God, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional, all integrated together. It's not actually separate things. There are many false religions who have this idea that The soul is just imprisoned in the body until it can be released to go on to uh, the next phase of existence. That's not in any way, shape, or form biblical. The the biblical view of the nature of man is that that we are integrated. And so, the result of that is if, if you are trying to save someone spiritually without in regard to their physical and mental condition, you're bound to fail. Because they can't be separated. And, and the, the inverse is also true. If you're trying to help someone physically and you neglect the spiritual, you're going to fail. And, and I see that over and over again in my, my health classes because we integrate the emotional and spiritual component, not just telling people to exercise and eat right. Like most people already know that. The, the part where they really struggle is the spiritual component. And so we, we have to integrate these things together. And so the right arm, the, the medical work, has to be connected to the body of the gospel in order for the gospel to be whole and effective. And then thirdly, I would suggest that the medical work, the health message is important because of sanctification. And so often we've heard that, well, you're not sanctified by what you eat. Have you ever heard that before? Not sanctified by what you eat. And well, that might be true, but you can certainly be unsanctified in what you eat. So, sanctification is a, a process of growing to become more and more like Jesus. And God has given us the gift of the health message because He knows, again, the, the integration of human nature integration of the physical mental and spiritual so if, if we are to be sanctified to come to reflect the image of jesus spiritually we, we can't separate that from our physical being our physical being needs to come along with it and in fact actually to support our spiritual nature so when we live in harmony with god's plan in our physical being that supports our mental and emotional being and that supports our connection with God. Now, I remember a few years ago, I had a patient who was struggling with a heroin addiction. And as with all new patients, I, I got to tell you, uh, uh, Medicare, I-, I personally think Medicare is one of the, uh, how can I say this? In a kind way, maybe I just won't say it. Anyway, one nice thing about Medicare is that it requ- it it's required now that uh, patients should be asked what their religious preference is. So even if you work in a non-Christian setting, if you're going to follow uh, CMS guidelines, you have to find out what the patient's religious preference is, and that's like an open door. <laughs> so every every new patient, I ask him, "Do you have?" Uh, a religious preference, or what is your religious preference? And uh, so, this girl had told me she was Christian, and yet she's struggling with this heroin addiction. And one day she came in, and she had relapsed again. And she said, "I, I feel like whenever I get high, that my prayers don't go anywhere. It's it's like the the heroin." disrupts my connection with God and I said that's exactly why the devil wants you on heroin because he's afraid that if you're connected with God then he's going to lose you and he wants you in his kingdom and uh, so we had a little discussion about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit can set us free and uh, it it was quite a struggle for her but uh, praise God in the end she did Become free from uh, heroin, the last I know, and uh, so she 's on a journey with God so that is, is that part of the process of sanctification happening in a medical office talking about a medical problem this, you know addiction absolutely so we need to realize this process sometimes I know this is this this is not a message all about sanctification but I can't help because it's so related how many of you heard the quote sanctification is the work of a lifetime right most of the time when people say that they're they're saying that to to try to get across the idea of like don't worry about it too much you're going to be struggling and sinning all the way through your life because sanctification is a work of a lifetime I'm like what that's not what that means you, did you know that breathing, breathing is the work of a lifetime? Did you know you have to breathe every like as long as you live, as long as you want to live, you have to breathe. Right? spiritually, as long as you want to be alive spiritually, you have to be on the path of sanctification. And, and you can't say like, "Well, we're gonna wait till heaven, and then you know, once we get to heaven, then we'll like." No, 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 no. The Bible is full. Full from beginning to end of God wanting to change us to help us now like the, the, the kingdom of God doesn't start later it's now the kingdom of God is here and now and he wants to work in us to transform us to will and to do his good pleasure and so the uh, the work if it's the work of a lifetime I, I might suggest maybe we, sh- we should actually be working in cooperation with divine power throughout our entire life, and what else exemplifies that more than the health message? Like being healthy is not like you arrive there. Okay, I'm 10 years old. I'm perfectly healthy, and now I can just do whatever I want. Like we don't we don't believe in the once saved always saved thing in theology, do we? And we don't believe it in in healthcare either. Like you, you could say, eating right is the work of a lifetime. Isn't it? It's not a one time thing, like, oh I had one healthy meal, so now I'm good. You no, know, it's it's an ongoing process. And and every day that you want to be healthy, every day that you're on the journey, you're gonna do the things that God is calling you to do and put in place the habits of following God's plan. All right. I see my time is flying fast, so I'm going to just quickly make note. This one was in the program last night. Temptation to make missionary work independent from the conferences. If we're going to repair the breach, we've got to walk that back somehow. We've got to reconnect medical missions and the work of the conferences. And then this one, again and again, you, you've heard this one before. This is kind of like the, the keynote quote for this event. The medical missionary work is to bear the same relation to the work of the third angel's message that the arm and hand bear to the body. So uh, I'll get into that a little bit more in the closing. Notice she's said, Again and again, I have been instructed. You think maybe that's important? when God tells a prophet something over and over again. Okay, I'm going to skip the rest of that quote. And we talked about this a little bit yesterday. Here we go. So we're going to talk about these three different pieces just a little bit, and then we'll talk about how we can start integrating them. So first of all, we have this Venn diagram, which in reality... It, it, it's trying to illustrate something that's not actually separate, but for the sake of illustration, it's easier to draw it as, as three separate things, the gospel, medicine, and healthy living. And so here's the way I sort of conceptualize this. The gospel is evangelism, telling people about Jesus, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and we can be saved. Everybody clear on, on that? It's fairly fairly simple. Um and probably everybody knows what medicine is. Medicine is taking care of people that are sick. Okay, we're all good with that. So that means, you know, someone's got a broken arm, somebody got pneumonia, they got cancer, they have a heart attack, they got diabetes, all those things. So caring for those people is practicing medicine. And then over here we have uh, healthy living or we might call this a health message. So this is, you know, eat, uh, vegetarian diet, exercise, breathe fresh air, get plenty of sunlight, all those good things. Now, what's happened is that over the last uh, number of years, 40, 50, 80 years, I don't know, th- these things have uh, that were once all integrated in our church have began to separate out more and more. And so, just, just to be clear, Uh, there are areas of overlap. So we have some places where um, people are preaching the gospel and they're doing medicine. So for, um, for in the Amen conference, so the Amen Adventist Medical Evangelism Network, one of the things that they promote is for physicians to invite their patients to Bible studies and to even have Bible studies at their office. So that would be kind of uh, almost like a rapid task switching type of thing. Okay, so you come in the exam room, we give you your medications. Oh, uh, tonight we have a Bible study, can you come back for that? So so there's this sort of task switching thing that happens. We might get into this area of overlap if we start talking about uh, the spiritual component in the exam room or... Uh, maybe when the pastor is helping someone with a hydrotherapy treatment, or maybe it's not even the pastor. I mean, all the members. right? We're all supposed to be involved. So, so there's this area of overlap. Here we have the gospel and we have healthy living. And so in this area of overlap, this is where most of our self-supporting institutions are, I think. They're not, they're not so much doing medicine, but they're doing the health message. They're telling people how to live right. They're doing uh, lifestyle medicine, you know, helping people in that way. Uh, some of them are doing a little bit of medicine, um, but this is the big area of overlap where most of them are. Over here we have, this is interesting. What do you get when you have medicine and a health message without the gospel? You get an alternative healer. New agey, macrobiotic diets, and crystals and essential oils. Now, I'm not against this, uh, using herbal medicine. In fact, I I think that's fabulous. But uh, but when you take the gospel out of it, then you're left with this thing, and it actually becomes very legalistic. Uh, I don't know if any of you have run into any of the hardcore, uh, you know, Mother Earth worshiping. Um, new age health freaks, but like they are very rigidly uh, religious about Mother Earth, and it's very legalistic. Anyway, but what what we're called to be and to do is where all three of these things overlap, and because it's, it's not just about giving Bible studies. It's not just about helping people that are sick to get well. And it's not just about healthy living. It's about putting all of those things together because that's what God's called us to do. And also it turns out that that's what's actually the most effective at transforming lives because it does address the physical, mental, spiritual, uh, social, all together. So, a vision for what might it look like if we actually did this. And I'm gonna say the first piece of that vision is that every church would be engaged in health evangelism and natural remedies. And you know we have a lot of churches that are doing some health programs, so that's, that's good. And many conferences provide support for cooking schools and stop smoking programs and reversing diabetes programs. That's wonderful. So I would suggest that we need to expand on that start and that every church should be deeply involved in these things as an integral part of their ministry to the community. And that we really need to look at how can we expand this area of natural remedies because most churches are not doing that. If I'm wrong, you let me know. But most of the churches I'm aware of are not actually treating sick people Uh, even with simple things like exercise and hydrotherapy uh, and supplements, because that starts to border into practicing medicine, depending on how you do it. And so there's a lot of concern about that. Well, that brings us to the next piece of the puzzle. You remember the quote earlier where we're told that in every city where we have a church, there should be treatment rooms. Well, treatment rooms... It's just an old-fashioned word for a clinic. There should be a clinic where people can go when they're sick to get treatment. Okay? And that treatment might include uh, some prescription medication. It might include some herbal treatments. It might include hydrotherapy, physical therapy, whatever uh, the case calls for. But in every church, there should be, uh, connected with that church, a place for sick people to receive treatment. and I know some of us have been pushing just to get that started in one or two places, but really we're called to have that in every church. Wow, what would that look like if we had a network that, that if somebody, what if somebody needed medical care and, and instead of trying to sign up for some insurance that they can't afford or, or maybe looking to see which, clinic their medicaid program works on what if they just got out their phone and i almost said phone book but we don't use phone books anymore we get out our phone and just google adventist church and you look in grand rapids there's how many churches are there in grand rapids you know is it 12 give or take adventist churches yeah so what if somebody in Grand Rapids is sick, they get out their phone, and they Google Adventist Church, and they see there's 12 churches. Okay, take me to the nearest one. And they drive over there, and the receptionist says, how can I help you? And are like, oh, I'm sick. And they're like, ah, you need to go around the side door over there. There's the clinic, and they'll help you out. Wouldn't that be amazing? And, and, and then people could know that they're getting the best of integrated whole person care and it's not dependent on what their insurance is because we don't care about them. Did Jesus ever ask anybody what their insurance was before he helped them? Did I haven't read all the different translations, but I've read a few of them, and none of them ever said anything about Jesus checking their insurance. Anyway, okay. Please forgive me. I get off on these little tangents so easy. All right. Every church should be associated with a clinic, and you know, this, this might even be staffed by a nurse practitioner. What if, what if the conference employed a physician who could be the supervising physician for all the mid-level providers that were staffing all clinics in every church? That would be almost like what Sister White talked about when she said that nurses could go around and treat people. Like, that's how they used to do it. And then we went through a period of time where that wasn't okay. And now it's kind of come back into vogue that nurses are treating people. And it's like, well, praise the Lord, why don't we take advantage of that? You know, what if, what if a church was too small to employ a doctor? And so they just had one of the uh, conference nurse practitioners that came to that church one day a week to, to take care of the people in the church that needed help. Wouldn't that be amazing? It would be like an actual parish nursing program with a, a real nurse and it actually taking care of people. Then, the, the next piece is every district has a place for inpatient treatment of sick, uh, of the sick and intensive lifestyle treatment, also known as a sanitarium. A sanitarium is not just a place for people to learn how to eat right and exercise. It's a place to take care of sick people. And so what if every district, and so when I say district, that means different things to different people. Okay, So um, here in Michigan, the conference has divided up into districts all the churches. So we have one district here in the Berrien Springs area is District 9. I forget how many churches we have here. I think it's something like 20. 20-something churches. So what if there was a sanitarium for every 20 churches, or let's say even 30 churches scattered all across the country, uh, so that uh, if, if your nurse or your doctor in, in your local church clinic has this case that's really difficult or patient patient's sick and needs to be admitted, instead of driving to the local ER and getting checked into a hospital where they don't have the health message... They don't believe in the power of prayer and the gospel and combining physical, mental, and spiritual healing. What if you could say, like, I would like to go into our own sanitarium to be treated. And you could receive integrated treatment that would integrate all the, the best practices, including hydrotherapy and prayer and sunlight and healthy meals. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, I'm going to say, how would that be different than a hospital? Well, hospital and sanitarium, the, the concept is really more one of emphasis. So, you know, Sister White said we should have many small sanitariums. Of course, the Battle Creek Sanitarium was a big hospital, basically what it was. They did surgery. They did all the things there. And we should do all the things, too, as part of practicing Gospel, medical, missionary, evangelism, but the emphasis shouldn't be on you know big surgical hospitals. Maybe we should have some of those, but we should have lots of small sanitariums. I just looked up this morning, what's the definition of a small hospital, and it's less than 100 beds. Uh, so a small sanitarium, I think we could agree it'd be less than 100 beds. It might be only five, four or five or six, maybe 15 or 20. Uh, Maybe it depends on the community. You know, a small sanitarium in Chicago might be different than a small sanitarium in Barron Springs because in Chicago you have however many millions of people to, to care for. And then the final piece I would suggest is connecting all of these things by Sabbath schools, small groups, you know sabbath school used to be not just a place to go hang out and read the memory verse and and talk about it but it was actually a group of people who would talk about their missionary activities during the week and they would strategize how they were going to reach out to the community with the gospel what if our sabbath schools were actually small groups that were engaged in gospel medical missionary evangelism as a team. And maybe there was a nurse on there. Maybe there were several people that were really good at cooking. And there are some people that were really good at giving Bible studies. And, and when somebody needs help to quit smoking, the Sabbath school class could say, we will help you. Or when someone uh, is being discharged from the hospital and they still can't get around, they have you know, pain from all their injuries and they're, they need rehabilitation. What if that Sabbath school group could come around them and help them? Or what if somebody needed We could go on and on with examples, but just just imagine these groups. You you know, we've been told that soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines but medical missionary work. And I kind of think that if there's no work being done in ministerial lines, it's because the ministers are probably going to be in hiding or in jail. So that's going to leave it to lay people in small groups, and, and when the ministers are in hiding or in jail, you think you're still going to be meeting in church, in the church building on Sabbath? I don't think so. So, we're going to have a bunch of little small group Sabbath school meetings in different places, and they're going to be doing the, the final closing work of proclaiming the gospel and of helping people, and they're going to use the most effective method of reaching people, which is gospel, medical, missionary work. And and there, there was a time when I wondered how that could be, because you know the healthcare system was so good, and it was getting better, and there was all this bright hope for the future. Well, that's all gone now. <laughs> that's all gone. If we if we didn't learn anything else from uh, from the recent pandemic, we learned the healthcare system is broken a lot of different ways, and there's so many opportunities for people who care and have a little bit of knowledge to step in and make a difference in people's lives. All right, a couple more quotes and then oh, I have four more minutes. We're going to listen quickly, okay? Here we go. We've come to a time when how, how many members? What does it say? Every. Every member of the church should take hold of medical missionary work every member so not just the pastors and just the doctors every member okay you you guys uh, let's see here oh members in church need an awakening set part of that same quote okay I have a question for you this is kind of a trick question you no doubt recognize this quote, Christ's method alone. What is Christ's method alone that will give true success? Mingling with men as one who desires their good, showed his sympathy, ministered to their needs, won their confidence, and bade them follow me. And then, usually when you hear this, the pastor goes on to talk about uh, friendship evangelism, inviting your neighbors over for lunch, and uh, you know, uh, going camping with them, or uh whatever it may be. You've heard this talk before, okay? Where is this quote from? Anybody know? It's from this little book called Ministry of Healing. It turns out, uh, you're familiar, there's a book called Evangelism. Have you heard of that one? Did you know Ellen White did not write that book? It was a compilation the book that Ellen White wrote about evangelism is Ministry of Healing. She actually wrote this book and published it as the guide for evangelism. And so on on page 143 is this quote, and it's, I, I just realized this the other day, our uh we're, we're calling the, the purchase of this property next door the the healing and teaching center and i was just looking at this quote and it's in the chapter entitled teaching and healing if you go back and read the chapter it's all about medical missionary work i'm not going i was gonna read it to you but i'm i'm out of time so you'll have to do that later Go back, find that quote on page 143, and read the whole chapter. And what you'll see is she's talking about medical missionary work. That is Christ's method that will give true success. So I'm going to tie up here with connecting for you. Revelation chapter 14, the three angels' messages. Does anybody remember what they are? I mean, I'm not trying to insult you or anything, but you know, Adventists have forgotten a lot of stuff. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. And the second one is Babylon has fallen. And the third one is woe to those who partake, who worship the beast. Okay, I'm paraphrasing, but you got the idea? Why is it that Ellen White keeps saying that medical missionary work is the right arm of the third angel's message. I don't hear anybody talk about that. I'm going to take you back to Isaiah 58. So if you have your Bible, Isaiah 58. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. This sounds almost like what we were reading out of the book of Joel last night. And God goes on to say, they say they're seeking after me, but they, uh, they're fasting, but they're not doing it right. And God calls for a reformation. Is this the fast that I have chosen, it says God, a day to do all of these other things? No, this is the fast I've chosen. Loose the bands of wickedness. Undo the heavy burdens. Let the oppressed go free. And that you break every yoke. Feed the hungry. Bring in the poor. Take care of the naked. Verse 10, if you draw out your soul to the hungry, you satisfy the afflicted soul. Then shall thy light rise in obscurity, and thy darkness shall be as noonday. Ellen White tells us this, this chapter is the... Explanation of Medical Missionary Work. The Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones. And thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. Friends, this is what God has called us to do at this time. The time has come for every one of us. Pastors, physicians, conference administrators, uh, brand new members in the pew, uh, children's Sabbath school members, all of us to take hold of this work. The next verse says, if thou turn away thy foot from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, I remember... Uh, Pastor Don talking about his uh, experience with Sabbath and medical work, and uh, maybe I'll let him tell that story if he's inclined to do that when it's his turn to speak, but there's a connection here. We, 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 we don't excuse ourselves from Sabbath keeping because we're engaged in medical ministry. Um, no, medical ministry is the, the right arm of the third angel's message, which calls people out of babylon out of confusion and and to worship god because he is a creator who made heaven and earth and the sea and all the things there are therein if thou turn away thy foot from the sabbath from doing thy pleasure on my holy day and call the sabbath a delight the holy of the lord honorable and shall honor him not doing thine own ways nor finding thine own pleasure nor speaking thine own words then shalt thou delight thyself in the lord and i will cause thee to write upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, once again we are humbled by the challenge set before us, in the words of Scripture and in the words of your prophet. We pray that you would give us a greater vision and that you would then pour out your Holy Spirit upon us as we take hold of the reforms, as we take hold of the work, that you will show us the way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.